Hey, I'm Cal. Hey, and I'm Kathy. We're the co-hosts of the Heal Well Healthcare Podcast Interdisciplinary, and we're here to uh, invite you to become patrons of our podcast. We're going to team up with the platform called Patreon to invite you even to become an even more active member of this community. So we've got a couple of levels, uh, depending on your interest and uh, and passion about this particular topic and how much you love me and Kathy, perhaps. Uh, so. Uh, the first level, you can become an official patron. It's $5 a month, and it allows you to have early access to episodes and, of course, to know that you are part of making sure this podcast keeps happening. Kathy, tell them what else they could win. Oh, well, level two is called All Access Patron, which gives you early access to our episodes and access to bonus episodes Boom. for $10 a month. And then we've got the VIP patron. So you get all those other things, early access, bonus episodes, and then a monthly, what they call AMAs, which are ask me anything, which means that you get uh, unfettered one-on-one-ish access uh, to me and or, or both uh, Kathy uh, to ask us anything, uh, something that came up on the podcast, something that you're uh, trying to blow up in your own community and how we can help you, whatever it might be. So uh, become a patron and help us get the word out and build our community and Thanks already for the love that you're bringing to interdisciplinary and heal well and making the world a better place. We love the love and we love you right back. I'm Cal Cates, and uh, I've gone rogue this week. Uh, Kathy Ryan is not with us, so um, the uh, powers that be have decided to trust me this week to host on my own. So we'll see how that goes. Be sure to report to the authorities if necessary. Welcome to another episode of Interdisciplinary. In this podcast, massage therapy educators, practitioners, and positive deviants, usually Kathy Ryan, but not today, and Cal Cates will use research, science, experience, and humor to explore the broad landscape of healthcare through a truly interdisciplinary lens. You'll always learn something, you'll always laugh, and you'll come away better informed and with real things you can do in your own community and practice to create a more compassionate and collaborative system of care for all humans. Please be sure to like us and share and use all of your social media might to tell the world about the interdisciplinary podcast and how it has changed your life. Make sure go leave us a review with words, give us some stars and uh, let people know that they should come listen too. Thank you for listening and uh, thank you for becoming Patreons, those of you who uh, make that decision to keep this rolling. And now the moment that you've all been waiting for this week's pun uh, Kathy Ryan actually will be with us in spirit because she did send me a pun that uh, brings us back to our massage therapy roots. I didn't think massage therapy could help with my posture, but I stand corrected. So, uh, without further ado, uh, and I appreciate our guest adding a, a snortle chortle, uh, <laughs> I am so excited to introduce my good friend and uh, occasional co-conspirator, Brian Pinkson, from uh, Dartmouth-Hitchcock and many other places. Uh, Brian is a nurse and a massage therapist and uh, sort of a legend in uh, integrative medicine and uh, massage therapy, at least in the massage and oncology massage world. So, Brian, thank you for being with us. A pleasure. 
Um, I, you know, I, there's so many things I could say uh, about, you know, your career and the amazing adventure that it at least has appeared to be from the outside. But um, tell us about uh, you have, at least in my experience, spent one of the longest uh, careers in this type of work uh, of anybody that I know of, you were sort of interdisciplinary before it was cool. So um, tell us, tell us what we should know about you and, and where you've been. Well, I started my nursing career uh, in 1973 and at a small hospital, I took a year off to work with delinquent teenage boys and I uh, decided really nursing was much more my path and started uh, working again at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in 1977. I wanted to work in OB or pediatrics, but at that time they didn't hire LPNs for those specialty units. And I also only wanted to work part-time, which they didn't have part-time nurses um, then. So we negotiated a deal that I would work on the hematology oncology unit where I could work four days a week. And after three months, if I really didn't like it, I could leave. And it turned out that I loved it. It was the right path. And um, I stayed there as a staff nurse for many years until I went to massage school in 1981 and really felt like massage was an extension and an expansion of my nursing. And when I came back from massage school, um, my head nurse at the time let me start working on some of our patients since as uh, nurses were licensed to touch. And uh, slowly started working on some of the staff nurses when it was quiet. And they started having me work on their patients who, you know, can you see Mr. Jones? He's got a headache. Um, can you see Mrs. Smith? Her, she's just really anxious. And then I worked on, um, I decided to ask the three oncologists that we had at the time if they would like to try some massage because at that time there was none or maybe very little uh, research done on massage. And I thought I could talk till I was blue in the face, um, but that it would be much better for them to experience it. So they all took me up on an offer of a back and neck massage and they all said I could work on any of their patients anytime. So that really <laughs> is like the best career move I think I've made. And that opened the door. And, um, and so for a few years, I did nursing and massage. But I also had two small kids at home. And it got to be a, a little much. So I kept writing proposals to just fund this position. And finally, in 1989, um, one of the oncologists found funding from uh, what they call the Grateful Patient Fund in the Cancer Center, you know, when patients die and people yeah. can send money. So he took that money with the approval of everybody to fund my position for a year. And during that year, we uh, I gave questionnaires to everybody, I, all the patients I worked with, um, to document, document, document. That was my head nurse's uh, mantra to see if it was helpful or not. And the only two, quote, negative responses were one was the oil made them itch. And the second one was that the sessions weren't long enough or often enough. <laughs> so based on that, right. um, they decided to keep me funded um, indefinitely. But they didn't change my job position 
on the books because they felt it would be too easy to look down and say, healing arts practitioner, you know, that's extra. We don't need it. So I was still on the books as a staff nurse, um, but had a different job description. And since then, the uh, healing arts has grown from just myself as a practitioner to uh, a great team of myself now as coordinator of the healing arts team with six or seven massage therapists and six or seven uh, Reiki volunteers and we're the palliative care team. And um, prior to COVID, we were a pretty thriving team and went all over the hospital, although our priorities was hematology and also the palliative care patients. Wow. Yeah. So talk about uh, grassroots and, and the power of tiny decisions. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and having champions, it's, it's, too. I think that, yeah, that was a big learning for me. Is it really helps to have a champion. And did you do you feel like you your your small uh, offer of massage to physicians was was how you started to cultivate champions? Or do you remember having some some champions even before that? Well, kind of a combination of both, because I think I had worked as a nurse for several years. They all knew me and they trusted me and I had um, some credibility. And I think the actual hands on experience for them solidified it. So they, they were happy yeah. to um, advocate for me. Yeah, I feel like this is this has been our experience in the hospital as well, is that um, whatever provider we're dealing with, if they are not themselves a massage therapist, even just a, a few minutes of a hand massage that is like, this is what I might do with a patient of yours, it just changes their whole mindset. Yeah, for sure. And they, I mean, it, yeah, I think they, they experience it and they go, oh, wow, that feels good. And also, oh, I'm not concerned you're going to injure my patient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, you know, the healing arts team, the way that you all interact with, you know, I mean, we talk on the show about interdisciplinary and I think so often multidisciplinary is inaccurately described as interdisciplinary. So can you talk a little bit about how you, how do you get referrals for patients? How do you interact with the other members of the team? Is there, is there a real and active collaboration or is massage and Reiki kind of a, a bolt-on intervention that isn't, isn't, how does it go? How does it work? Well, I think when the palliative care team first started um, and, and healing arts was part of it, it was really more multi, multidisciplinary. I think that's true. Our mm -hmm. team is made up of physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, chaplaincy, social work, pharmacy, um, volunteers, and and I think it took a few years to kind of morph from multidisciplinary where the medical team really <clears throat> was at the hierarchy um, and we were all add-ons to where we are now, which I think is really truly interdisciplinary where everybody's role is really respected. Um, even our, uh, 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 they don't call them unit secretaries or uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of the right word for the folks that, you know, answer the phones and do the clinical, the, like the clinical center. Like triage. Yeah. Um, 
There, you know, when we have meetings and we talk about patient care, everybody is invited to share their thoughts and perceptions and um, everybody is really respected with, without, I think, any kind of hierarchy, which feels pretty great. Our, our yeah. referrals come from anybody on the palliative care team, um, also from physical therapists, chaplaincy and throughout the hospital. Um, any of the nurses, uh, social work, anybody who sees a patient that they think would be helpful uh, to receive massage or Reiki, we get called. There's a, a team also in the hospital called the BIT team, the Behavioral Interventionist Team. And they work a lot with people with chronic illness and um, some opioid use challenges and high anxiety. And we get a lot we were getting a lot of calls from them to work with their patients. So it, it feels like we're really integrated into the team and we share a lot. I share a lot um, during our team meetings, sharing about the patients and what their experience was like and um, feel like also kind of like we're a branch of chaplaincy and social work all blended together because again, as you know, we don't just do hands-on. There's also the interaction with the patients that we share. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's so that what you just shared leads to so many questions for me. I mean, you know, I think about the types of referrals that um, massage therapists and massage therapy teams often get. And I'm curious about um, because you get, you have so many different disciplines aware of the benefit massage therapy can bring. Um, you know, when a physical therapist calls you, for instance, is it for a soft tissue support of what they're doing? Or is it that sort of adding that additional interaction slash comfort level of, you know, still supporting what they're doing, but not like, hey, you know, I was working with this person's insert muscle name, and I think some additional massage would be helpful. How, how do those referrals? I think look? they're usually more, I mean, kind of a blend of both again just that the person has a really sore neck and they don't have the time to work on them. And could we, because they know we can spend a lot more time, um, can we go work with them? And yeah. also if someone is just highly anxious that they're working with, they may call us. So it's really kind of a blend. It's not so much a specific work on this muscle as much as this is the discomfort the patient's having. I'm working with them and I think they could just really benefit from longer sessions that you provide. Yeah. So then in terms of, you know, this has been many years that, that the healing arts team has been growing both in size and in sort of integration. How does, um, you know, we've seen with our programs over the years that when, you know, budget belts have to tighten or when even just leadership changes, we kind of have to go to bat again for the value of what we do. Uh, how has that has that happened over the course of your tenure there? And, and what do those conversations look like? Are there are there doubts within the institution about the value? And do you find yourself having to sort of defend uh, how massage therapy fits or, well, or not? Well, thankfully, no. Um, but the funding for our team comes from a couple different places. I'm actually on staff with the palliative care team. The other massage therapists are contracted and they're paid through our cancer center. And there's great okay. support. They, the practitioners also work 
outpatient in the cancer center, and um, I'm I'm not really connected with that technically, although you know we all work together. But there's great support from leadership in the cancer center about how valuable uh, massage is, and so you know every year at budget time, there's some effort put in uh, by the administrator in the cancer center to maybe increase the budget, and sometimes for for expanding the budget, she may need to document um, the benefits and the number of patients that were seen, but not to have massage at all. I mean, there's, I think there's underlying support throughout the institution that what we offer valued and valuable uh, effort. Yeah. Yeah. And are you, so as a staff, staff person, are you on staff as an LPN or as a massage therapist? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so what is your, I'm always curious about this because often when we start a new program, sort of for simplicity's sake, I think, um, and because they don't have yeah. a massage category, we wind up the first round of badges we get, say, volunteer, and we have to go back to the office and say, so it's really important it that our badge doesn't does. say volunteer. It does. It's a healing arts practitioner. And I actually and so wanted that. Does your badge say healing arts practitioner? I or started this, I also offered guided imagery and, you know, a couple yeah. of other um, modalities in addition to just okay. massage. So I didn't want to just limit it. Well, and since we've gotten so busy, um, and now there's other team, um, there's other people in the hospital that provide the guided imagery and relaxation. So we are more uh, geared really again towards hands-on, but I, and I still am very glad to have that title, which feels a little more expansive to me than massage therapist. Our, our uh, massage therapists who are contracted, there's their ID, ID cards say uh, massage therapists and our Reiki volunteers say Reiki volunteers. Okay. Okay. So that is another question I was going to ask and, and I don't, uh, I'm curious in your perspective. So, you know, most of our massage therapists and many of the massage therapists who work in, in clinical settings, in my experience, also have been yeah. trained in Reiki. And, and you know, if you've been trained in Reiki, it, it sort of sneaks in, or at least that's my experience, is um, that you can, you can sort of toss it in. But when it comes to Reiki being offered as a standalone intervention, I don't know that I've seen any providers of Reiki being paid. And I'm curious about, um, that continues to be a volunteer uh, role. And I wonder if there have been any conversations about, I mean, the Reiki volunteers that I've seen in programs where we work tend to be retired people, tend to be people who want to touch people and be kind and helpful and, and aren't really worried about career. But I wonder what it says about sort of the value of Reiki. Well, there has been the conversations and, that pop what, up what have you seen? What is your opinion and perspective on that? Similar to what you said, a lot of our Reiki volunteers are retired, don't need the money. But there are a few who could really benefit if they were paid without a doubt. I think the decision was made by it somewhere in administration that because massage therapists have to have so many hours and be licensed versus Reiki, volunteer, Reiki practitioners who can do a weekend workshop, 
that there was no, that that's how they made the decision to not pay Reiki practitioners. And mm-hmm. I think if there was more of an abundance of money available, it would be really lovely to, yeah. to also pay them, but I don't have a good argument in terms of the licensing and the number of hours and the level of skill. And so it just is what it is. Um, and, and we've had ebbs and flows of Reiki yeah. volunteers. Sometimes we've had to advertise in yeah. our local listservs to get more. And then other times, again, we have an abundance and it really ebbs and flows. And we're really grateful for what they offer. And it's true, all our massage therapists also offer Reiki. And some of our patients sometimes will just choose that. Um, but we consider it just one of our tools that we use. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, do the Reiki volunteers have Neither access the to Reiki electronic medical record or how do the team members the know if a patient has received have Reiki? access to the electronic health? Record. I am the only one. So it gets funneled through me. Um, really? Yeah, there was discussion and conversations about that, but, but the nitty gritty kind of rose up like there's not enough computers for everybody. And then they have to get everybody trained and, etc etc and so they made the decision again somewhere higher above than me (laughs) that um, I would be the only one to be able to write in the electronic health record so that's what happens and so I come up with the list of patients to see I share with them uh, kind of very briefly the medical history of the patients and what's happening and they report back to me and then I put that in the uh, health record. So, right. Wow. So you're charting for everybody. <laughs> That's right. Okay. And, so that, and my, there is a um, record of massage therapy. My notes but are pretty you're, you're the simple queen of it. <laughs> and pretty untechnical. And I don't go into what strokes were used or, you know, it's more like therapeutic massage given to back and neck, you know, patient experience great relief. They stated that was wonderful. Healing Arts team will try and see two to three times a week, something to that effect, a pretty broad general note. Um, So it's documented, but not specifics. And everybody's been fine with that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I think, I mean, this is one of our one of our soapboxes at Heal Well is that our providers need to have that access to be able to read and write um, and and to be able to really, you know, so that all the providers can see that this person was seen by another provider on the team and, and sort of that that's part of our integration. And I can see how, like you said, nobody said anything, so we'll just do it this way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's how a lot of these sorts of things happen is we're such an unknown quantity that it's just sort of ad hoc solutions along the way to the different challenges that present themselves and what allows us to get the most hands on patients um, sometimes and typically takes priority over sort of the nitty-gritty. I, I also like said, think that, what you know, like all the wonderful massage programs across the country, yeah. a lot of them are reflections of who kind of created them. And I think I'm on one end of the spectrum of being pretty low-key Versus, you know, the other end where 
it's really important to get everyone credentialed and it's much <laughs> more uh, specific about what they do and, you know, how they interact with the system. And, and I think it's wonderful because we're all different and I think our programs reflect that. And again, I'm, I'm really on the low end of just kind of easing in and going with the flow and kind of in a way um, just for me, I think creating an avenue for us to do our work with minimal blockages. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I would say for us, I mean, part of why, I feel like we can be so bossy when we show up with a new program is because programs like yours have sort of paved the way. And that I think it's different when you like the way that you started, you didn't know what this was going to be. You didn't sort of have a vision for how it was going to expand and integrate where for us, because there are programs like yours and programs like Sloan Kettering, we're able to go in and say, well, so this is what can happen. And it's a lot easier to, for instance, get that electronic medical record access right at the beginning than to sort of flow in and then be like, Hey, so by the way, we've been here for a year. Can yeah. we do this? And um, it, I think it does slow our launch time, but once we're in, yeah. we're in and we yeah. have the things that we want. So yeah, I, I think I, you're I, right. it's it also a just kind of, of me the this time they were created a little bit, but who, who we them. did some yeah. research uh, with NIH when they first opened the office of alternative and complementary medicine that was like back in 1990s. And we did a very brief uh, research on does massage help patients going through yeah. autologous bone marrow transplant. And it got published in the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management. And I think that also gave us credibility throughout the hospital that that massage was valid. And sorry, this this is kind of like a non sequitur to what we were just talking about, but it just rose up yeah. in my mind that I think as part of our program expanded, that really helped. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it is really a non sequitur because I think part of what we, the reason that we make electronic medical record access sort of a, a a requirement of partnership with the facility is that credibility piece. And when you show up sight unseen, you know, if you have, if your badge says a certain thing, if you have a certain type of access, other providers go, Oh, like, I didn't know we had this, but this person is, is in the chart of my patient. So I guess this is a thing. And yeah, um, yeah. I think it, it right. does, it comes back to credibility and, and acceptance. So there are lots of ways to get that. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit and ask about um, what happened with you guys when COVID hit. And I mean, not that COVID is over, but how has the last, yeah, well, you know, last 12, 13 months been for you all in March, terms of access to patients and, and your halt. flow? And, and I mean, they stopped everything and they stopped surgeries and, you know, the hospital went into kind of lockdown. And so massage just massage and Reiki just ended. And I got moved down uh, to this wonderful, beautiful building of ours, which wow. um, houses the Hospice and Palliative Care Center. It's called the Jack Byrne Center. And I've been screening visitors since then. It's the first time I've had an office with beautiful windows and there's a fireplace. <laughs> Better than any office I've 
ever had. Um, and everything <laughs> seized until last September when our numbers went down in our area. And we felt, again, with administrative support and with, you know, input from our safety practitioners at the hospital, that it was okay to start doing massage again. So we made the decision to start again in the outpatient cancer center and to bring the practitioners back at the Jack Byrne Center and not to uh, offer inpatient at that time because it felt just honestly, it just felt a little too overwhelming to me to figure out once again, the nitty gritty. And the decisions were made that um, based on New Hampshire guidelines for massage, that after seeing each yeah. patient, you needed to change your top. So we have the yellow precaution gowns that are now available that the practitioners use. And then we had the face shields, which have uh -huh. now morphed more into the glasses, which more the practitioners prefer. And, um, and so massage started back up and the staff in both places were really okay. thrilled and it was really nice. The patients really, uh, loved it again. And there were there were no more restrictions than that, than changing your top. Um, you know, everything gets wiped down profusely in the hospital setting. And, um, and then, unfortunately, in December, our numbers were rising again. So mid-December, everything came yeah. to a big halt again. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, and just oh, last no. week, we started up again. So, yeah, everybody was pretty excited about that. Um, in between, our practitioners have been able to wow. get unemployment, okay. which has been great. And um, it has been rising up in me as I've been hearing. I, I sit in on our morning meeting with the good. palliative care team where we go over all the inpatients and outpatients. And as I keep hearing about uh, these patients that are anxious and scared uh -huh. and sad and I just want to keep going well just put some hands on them and so that's been rising up enough on me that starting next month I'm hoping to go back to inpatient just four hours a week with one of the practitioners and just start off really small um, and we'll see how that goes okay yeah Yeah, I think that's we've we've gotten a lot of outreach from from massage providers in particular about they're seeing the suffering of of patients, both inpatients and outpatients who aren't right. able to be in contact with their family members or can't have visitors. And, you know, just almost feeling their hand tingling, wanting to provide that kind of comfort. And, you know, it's been really hard to to support those people because there are risks and there is there are things that you need to know to be able to be safe and absolutely those people need to be touched and so how do we as as you just described like it it seems like a lot to manage the nitty-gritty and to make sure that we're not actually so doing more harm by introducing in ourselves into this environment where there is a, an active virus happening very similar actually in our case we um at healwell our therapists are all employees of healwell but we are contractors. Healwell is a contractor at all of our service sites. So every hospital and clinic we interact with, we contract. And 
many of them just had a sort of no contractors categorical, you know, in our bigger hospitals, we have our, our personal champions in the departments where we work, et cetera. But when the whole hospital is sort of freaking out about how to keep patients safe, we just fall in the contractor bucket. So it, it has taken a little bit more work in some cases to, to help them understand yeah. that we are a, a small number of quote contractors, but that we also have an established track record of safety and, and collaboration with the teams where we work. So we are back at almost every facility and and actually, we've been invited to provide care um, to actually work with staff members. Um, oh, that's and great. some of the hospitals where we work have put money in their budgets to have us come in and work with nurses and, and other frontline providers. So, um, yeah, but for us, it was really a matter of, you know, there there wasn't enough PPE for frontline providers in the beginning. And so we, we made the decision to pull out yeah. from all of the sites and said, you know, yeah. when the supplies have returned to where we can work safely without taking gear from people who are providing life-saving care, then let's talk. And um, all of our, all of our centers that we partner with really worked actively with us so that we are back everywhere. But yeah, there's a real, and I think even from patients and particularly in our outpatient settings that patients are just as nervous as some of the providers and just, you know, wondering what are your protocols and how are you ensuring safety? And, but also understanding massage as such an essential part of their care that, you know, I am, I'm in more pain. I'm more anxious. I'm not sleeping as well without massage. And it, it doesn't feel like a nice to have for them. So in some ways, I think it's it's allowed yeah. us to shift the conversation with some of the, it, I don't know that I'd say skeptical, but people who sort of think of us as a luxury intervention and, you know, to have patients and the care providers who have worked with us yeah, say great. like, no, we need at to prioritize Jack Burns this Center, uh, has also sort of moved the needle light, for us in ways we wouldn't They're allowed to have it. three designated visitors in the room at each time. So that's also been nice to be able to do some hands on with the visitors who are clearly oh, wow. sad and stressed out. And, um, and, and a little side note, which also came up um, oh, yeah. for some reason when you were talking <laughs> that Absolutely. didn't have specifically to do with what you were talking about. <laughs> but um we also, in addition to, you know, it was back to the interdisciplinary <laughs> not, not brains. in addition to social work, chaplaincy, pharmacy, we also have a writer in residence, art, artist in residence, and musician in residence. And so during COVID, that all stopped for a while, but they have come back using like audio visual things, like giving the patients um, iPads and the writer working with them that way. And yeah, that's been a oh, really cool. nice addition too. And even doing art and music, our harpist, you know, through the media um, has been helping with the patients. And obviously as hands-on practitioners, we couldn't do that, but it felt like we're starting to really get back to quote, a little more normal having all these interdisciplinary um, aspects and practitioners work with our patients. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, everyone loves to talk about the COVID silver linings, but I think for us in the integrative and interdisciplinary space, COVID sort of forced all of us to 
go down to the bare bones of like the medicine piece. And I, I think our experience has been that a lot of the providers and patients yeah. looked around and like, none of us realized how much goes into care and how many different people are part of seeing the whole person in the bed. And when you peel off 80% of the team for safety precautions, everybody looks around and goes, oh, well, this doesn't feel so personal anymore. <laughs> and there are these whole aspects of patients that we, we don't have time to attend to or that we're not skilled in attending to. And we need to bring back all of these pieces because this is really what good care looks like. Yeah. So do you have, um, and maybe you don't, but do you have, what's your, what's your vision for the healing arts team That's a really uh, good there, question. whether it's something that you would create or sort of what <laughs> I you don't have a for clear vision down the road? Um, I think I just hope that the team can continue to function as we have and expand as needed and be fluid and organic and really be considered just an essential part of what the hospital offers. And it feels like that at this point. I sometimes wonder when I retire potentially in a few years, you know, will there be someone to carry on as coordinator? You know, I have a little concern like, oh, will it will it continue without somebody there to kind of Yeah. I wouldn't say advocate at this point, but steward it. That's a very good word. Thank you. Uh, and I think that, again, there's enough support it. from even administration and all the medical yeah. nursing teams that this is such a valued service that it's it's not going to disappear. So I don't really have super high fantasies about where I want it to grow or go, but just to, to be able to have enough practitioners to be able to really provide enough hands-on to the patients that need it. Because clearly, even though we have a pretty robust team, we used to have uh, 30 to 40 patients on my list every day. And there was no way in the world we saw that many people every day. So, you know, we had to, I had to triage. That was one of my most challenging parts was triage priorities and you know do we go up to pediatrics yeah. where there's a young adolescent who's kind of ambivalent but clearly benefits from it versus, you know um, and so ideally it would be lovely to not have to triage and pick and choose and have enough staff to meet all the needs yes um, so I guess that's about as broad as my vision is at the moment yeah absolutely <laughs> well, and I, you know, I think we're so, it's so American to say like, so where are you going to take it? It's like, it's in a pretty good place. What if we just don't break it? Like, <laughs> you know, that's a perfectly fine thing to aspire to. <clears throat> um, it does lead me to, to one other question though, in terms of if you could, <clears throat> if you could pinpoint um, sort of a, a couple of priority skills that you feel like the providers and the healing arts team need? Like if you're looking to expand your team, what are the skills you look for? Um, you know, talking to other providers out there, what should yeah, we, I, I really, what should providers like who want to work in an environment like this? The most important and be able of to what do, we do is in addition to massage, cultivating therapy. awareness and mindfulness, 
both within ourselves and so that we can be really present with whoever we're with. And that that's one of our greatest gifts that we give is the ability to just be present, hold the space, be there in connection without having to try to fix anything, change anything, and be present, be mindful. That's That, I feel like, is the primary. Uh, I don't know if I want to call it a skill to, to you know, manifest and cultivate. Yeah. Um, and I think also taking courses, it's really helpful, especially for newer practitioners on you know, oncology massage or hospital massage, just to give a foundation. And we don't necessarily require that for our practitioners, um, but encourage it. Because there's because it's such a small program, and I feel like I do a lot of mentoring with the practitioners. That um, yeah, I don't know if it replaces taking a course, but it it feels like it it suffices. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though it's lovely, and I encourage them to take a course, and also Gail McDonald's book Medicine Hands, I kind of feel like is really provides such an incredible foundation especially for new practitioners. Yeah. So I always have our practitioners read that mm-hmm. um, as just to, to a base of knowledge. And, and you know, I kind of feel like sometimes yeah. the simpler we get, the better it is, just slow, simple, conscious, yeah. mindful. That's what it's about rather than specific techniques. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I want to say to our listeners, I did not pay Brian to say any of those things. Um, that, um, yeah, that really is the key uh, to be able to be to to bring value to this environment is to know yourself and and to have that that mindfulness aspect and then certainly that you can't you can't skip over the skills part and that these are different environments and different patient populations than we're typically trained to work with or work in uh in massage school so um and and i'll take a moment for a a shameless plug as well that in addition to medicine hands uh, our very own rebecca sturgeon and janet penny a canadian massage therapist have a book coming out through handspring called oncology massage an integrative approach to cancer care uh coming out in april that i I think will become another standard on the bookshelves of people who want to work in environments like the one we've been talking about so I think um, it's also really important, for, especially working with people with life-threatening illness, to take some time out to explore your own feelings about mortality. And your workshop really is such a gift for those who participate to take time and explore the layers of who we are and what our fears are and what our thoughts about death and dying and being with dying anyway it's i really encourage anybody who hasn't taken this class with cal to to (laughs) oh thank you yeah we it's coming up in in april opening to the mystery we have some spots left and it is virtual right now in the world of covid but uh we've offered it twice now virtually and it is amazing how intimate and connected you can still be 
uh, via the internet. So um, come check that out if you're if you're intrigued. And it is a course that offers continuing ed for social workers and uh, nurses and a whole variety of disciplines. So uh, yeah, come and roll around in your mortality with us. It'll be it'll be worth it and more fun than you think it might be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anything no, like, we didn't get to, Brian, anything that you um, <laughs> think our listeners should know or that you want to share with the masses, your wisdom? Um, one, one of this has to do more with specific massage than the integrative part or the interdisciplinary part. <laughs> you know, there's a feeling that um, people use unscented massage lotion generally for oncology patients. And I have to say for the last 20 or 25 years, I've used this incredibly wonderful lotion called Liquid Radiance that is scented with really light lavender and really light orange. The patients love it. The nurses love it. The staff loves it. But the patients really love it. So I guess I wanted to just put a plug in that, generally speaking, oncology patients, folks going through chemo, you know, their sense of smell and taste is impacted. But not necessarily. So again, to be have some flexibility um, with what we offer. Yeah, <laughs> right. And to and to yeah. learn here, here's Absolutely. one one more thought yeah. that just and, up. and just and creating in programs and not a bad way to be programs. And I <laughs> imagine you have found this along the way. It's learning uh, when to push and please, when please. to ease up and let things go and let things flow. And, you know, the old you can't push the river. And there are times when you can advocate and push and things yeah. really move and the doors open and other times when you're really blocked. And so to just, again, with the flexibility to, yeah. to learn to go with the flow, as they say. Absolutely. Oh, very, very wise addition. Thank you for that. Well, it is always a pleasure to spend time with you, Brian. And I thank you so much for the generous <laughs> gift of your time uh, with me and for our listeners uh, today. We uh, wish you the best in your continued uh, non-pushing of the Healing Arts Program there and, and all of the people that you're bringing support to. Thanks for being with us. Um, and thank you all for listening and staying with us here at Interdisciplinary. Please go out there, use your social media might, tell the world, leave us some reviews, uh, become a Patreon if you're feeling sassy, and uh, be sure to get out there and, and tell the world and keep listening. And we'll uh, be with you again next week. Until then, I'm Cal Cates, and this has been Interdisciplinary. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. You can send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at healwell.org. New episodes will be posted weekly via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our Facebook page. Thank you.